Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? Brothers don't shake hands. Brothers gotta hug. The voice is like a combination of Fergie and Jesus. You sound like you're from London. I don't want your life. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Okay, a simple wrong would have done just fine. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Movie Showdown with Rock and Rob. My name is Rob Mansfield, and with me, could he be any more excited for this episode? It's Alex Rockline. I am excited for this episode. A little bit a little bit somber this week on the Movie Showdown, but we're going to try to brighten everyone's days who are big fans of Matthew Perry, and uh, we're going to bring you some really fun movies of his. Yeah, I felt weird being overly excited for that intro, but I wanted to bring the energy to reflect the joy, excitement, and laughter Matthew Perry brought to all of us. Rock and I had a plan for this week, but decided to pivot at the last minute Pivot and pick two movies starring Matthew Perry in honor of him so we could talk about him, his importance, and we hope you can listen to it and reflect back on some of the joy and laughter that hopefully he brought you as much as he brought us. We do our connections every every week with characters or actors and pop culture and friends is, is always one of them that we like to look back on. So we did feel it was appropriate to have a, an episode purely dedicated to Matthew Perry. So let's jump into it. The rock question of the week. If you could go back to high school for a month, would you do it? Okay, do I have the same knowledge that I have right now, right today? Yes. So you get transported into your high school body, but you have the brain of your current self. Okay, and it's during the school year, so I have to go to school? Have to go to school. I lean no, because, I mean, high school was high school. I'm still friends with some of the guys that I was friends with then, so not much has changed there. I think the only reason I would say yes is just to be able to eat anything I wanted (laughs) and lose weight. You know, you remember those days? It was like, it was the best. I often have nightmares that I'm my same age, but somehow enrolled in high school. However, I haven't gone to class the entire year, but have a final coming up. So I'm in the school wandering around trying to find my locker, which I have no idea where it is, trying to think of the combination, which I have no idea what it is, and just thinking, how am I going to pass this final and graduate? What does that mean, Alex? That's deep. Um, I, I am not a trained psychologist, but it can't be good. <laughs> it can't, it can't be it good. Can't no. be, that's just... No. I don't know. You know what? Who knows? I wouldn't mind going back. I always feel like if I got a chance to be a new student at a school that I would be this super cool new kid. In reality, I probably would not at all, and I don't think it would go well. But I would like a second chance at high school sports. I think I would be able to do some things differently and and really capitalize on a adult mind in a high school athletic body. You're wiser. You're older, but you're yep. not. You're the same age, but you're wiser. Yeah, I like that. You just know what's important. You're not as driven by trivial things as you are when you're 17. When you're 17, there's kind of one thing driving every decision in your life. And family podcast, you can read between the lines, but that's what it is. Approaching being 17 from the mindset of someone in their mid-30s, that's not what's driving you anymore. So you have so much more clarity, so much more understanding of how the world works, so much more maturity. I just think you would dominate life. I think you would too, because so much of your brain is being occupied by, like you said, stuff that just does not matter when you're 17. And if the roles were reversed, you know, you you got the knowledge, but the age in your favor, I can see how that could be a good deal. 
it would be a fun experiment. I don't think it'll ever happen. I don't believe that that is possible, but maybe. Maybe. All right, let's jump into it. This is our Matthew Perry tribute episode, so just wanted to start things off talking a little bit about Matthew Perry, and then we'll get right into our movies. Matthew Perry, as everyone I'm sure is aware, sadly passed away on October 28th. Everyone knows him for playing Chandler Bing on Friends, but he also did have a few movie roles and other television roles that were pretty successful. He was actually born in Williamstown, Massachusetts. Shout out to Massachusetts, but he moved to Canada when he was very, very young. And then in some of his acting roles, you can see he kind of represents some of the sports teams he likes from Canada. His desk in Friends at work, he had a Toronto Blue Jays hat, which I always thought was kind of cool. His dad was an actor, John Bennett Perry, who actually did start with him in Fools Rush In, which is pretty cool. His mom was also pretty famous. She was the press secretary to former Prime Minister of Canada, Pierre Trudeau. And then Matthew Perry went to school with Pierre Trudeau's son, Justin Trudeau, who is now the current Prime Minister of Canada. Mm -hmm. And then his mom married Keith Morrison in 1981, and they're still married. Who Keith Morrison is like, if you want to talk like top five voices of all time, I might put him on my list. Him of Dateline fame. To me, Matthew Perry as Chandler Bing is hugely important to how I saw myself because here's this guy who used a lot of self-deprecating humor, wasn't really the cool guy, but you saw him with a great group of friends, no pun intended, living his life, able to be who he was. And that really resonated and spoke to me and was really relatable as I watched Friends growing up, I think everybody's slightly insecure. And you see this guy who wasn't like what all the cool and popular guys were, but then still being very successful, having a great marriage, having great friends. And it was um, just an amazing part that he really brought life to. But he did have some really other great roles. I think he was an underappreciated actor apart from Friends. He had some great movie roles. We're going to talk about two of them today. He had some really good television roles too, including Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, one of Aaron Sorkin's projects. And he was phenomenal in that. Matthew Perry, obviously, is going to be known as Chandler Bing, but there was way more to him than just that. His book that he released a few years back really goes into detail and depth about his battles with addiction, especially during the height of his career and friends. And man, just going through some of that and seeing the character he plays and then reading about the person he was, you know, off screen, you, you do wonder how much of his character he put into it, the self-deprecating and that kind of humor. And then you look at him as a person and all the stuff he's went through and you just have to imagine that there was a lot of Matthew Perry in Chandler. I do think about that a lot. Also, just being so vulnerable and like putting it out all out in the world. You know, these, this is what I went through. These are my struggles and all that he did to get himself clean and then all that he did to help other people in the same situation. I mean, I think goes beyond his acting roles, which is also pretty cool. He has done some truly amazing things for people. There's numerous stories of him being sponsors of people going into rehab and trying to help people get their life back together. And those are the things that he was more proud of than anything was his ability to use his own experiences to try and help other people. Yeah. And it's pretty noble to think about just everyone will know him, but the thing he's most proud of is, is the stuff, you know, outside of, uh, of TV and, and movies. Very commendable. Yeah, for sure. Well, 
we want to honor Matthew Perry's memory and legacy. We want to have some fun talking about two of his more famous film roles. So the two movies that we chose for this week's episode are The Whole Nine Yards and Seventeen Again. So Alex, start us off. The Whole Nine Yards. This is a story about a dentist that helps a hitman get $10 million while simultaneously helping the hitman's wife not get murdered by the hitman. (laughs) This movie premiered February 18th, 2000, directed by Jonathan Lynn. You might know him from My Cousin Vinny. Written by Mitchell Kapner. This movie had a budget of $41.3 million. Box office brought in $106.4 million. Has a Rotten Tomato score of 43% and a Google audience score of 86%. And also, this movie did have a sequel, The Whole Ten Yards, which got a 4 on Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) Wow. That would be an interesting study to see the biggest drop-offs in Rotten Tomato score from first movie to sequel. It's a sequel to to the whole nine yards, which I really enjoy. But how bad does it have to be to be a four? Uh, now, we know the critics are not always right, and that's nope. why we defend these movies. Yep. But it's got me interested. Google audience score of 86% for the whole nine yards is really solid. That's very solid because it does speak for the people. Our other movie is 17 Again. This was actually the final theatrical film appearance of Matthew Perry. He went on and did a bunch of TV afterwards, but this was his last movie that he did. In 17 Again, a magical janitor sends a depressed 37-year-old back into his 17-year-old body to save his family from falling apart. It was released on April 17, 2009, directed by Burr Steers. If that name is familiar, it is because he was one of the writers on How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, a movie showdown favorite. 17 Again was written by Jason Filardi, had a budget of $40 million, and a box office of $139.5 million. That's a good return. Wow, that's very good. Rotten Tomatoes gives this movie a 56%, which comparatively to some of the movies we've done, that's decently high for them. This is the upper echelon of our range. Yes, for sure. Google audience gives it an 85%. So 17 again is what I would consider a body switch movie. So body switch movies, in my opinion, would be any movie where you either switch bodies with someone else or you change your age significantly, switching into a younger or older version of yourself. Speed draft, Alex. Body switch movies. We're going to do a snake draft with a four word explanation of why you picked each one. Let's rock, paper, scissors, see who goes first. Rock, paper, scissor. Shoot. Ooh, I went I rock. Got paper. Alex went paper. Paper covers rock. Alex wins so he can decide to have first pick or to defer. 17 again is eligible to be drafted. Alex, you going first or you deferring? I will defer. Okay. So remember, we're going as fast as we possibly can. Possibly. Possibly. I'm trying to stall to think of what movie I want to. So I want to think of what two movies you're going to pick. There's a lot of good ones. I'm trying to think if I can get my number one pick. You better not. If I can get it with the fourth pick. Oh, good value. I'm going to try it. I'm going right, to see, see what it. we can do. All right. Okay. You ready to start? I'm ready. I'm ready. Ready? Go. I'm taking face off. Yes, his face off. I'm going to go big, giant piano, FAO, Schwartz. And Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, The Rock in a video game. I'm getting my number one pick with the fourth pick. I'm taking 13 going on 30. Krista made me pick. (laughs) Smart man. Okay, I'm going with 17 again. This week's movie. Man, I was going to take that. Uh, I will take Jumanji, The Next Level. I love the Jumanji movies, and that's my explanation. 
the new Jumanji movies are fantastic. And my daughter loves them, so I've seen them a million times. And then I will finish it off with everything, everywhere, all at once. So weird, so good. My last movie, Freaky Friday, JLC, acting like teenager. <laughs> That's a good draft. There's so many good choices on, the, on that one. There was. We left a bunch on the board. Okay, ready to get into round one, best cast performance? The whole nine yards. Of course, starring Matthew Perry. He plays Oz, the dentist. You also have Bruce Willis. He plays Jimmy the Tulip. He's a contract killer. Very notorious character. He was in a movie called uh, Die Hard. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of that one. <laughs> Actually, there's a great callback in one of the scenes when he's sitting at the table. He's wearing his Die Hard wardrobe. That's pretty cool. Uh, you also have Amanda Peet. She plays Matthew Perry's assistant slash first hitman, <laughs> which is pretty great. She's hilarious in this movie. Um, you have Michael Clark Duncan. He plays Frankie Biggs. Big breakout role in The Green Mile. Uh, he was in Armageddon with Bruce Willis, Talladega Nights. Kevin Pollack, he plays Yanni, a gangster. Might know him from Wayne's World 2 or The Usual Suspects, which is one of my favorite movies. And then you also have an appearance by Harlan Williams. He plays a detective. You may know him as the cop who drinks pee in Dumb and Dumber. That's usually the role I know him best as. <laughs> nice. That's a, a pretty quick rundown of the cast. Matthew Perry in this movie. He's got so many good reactions, one-liners, some physical comedy in there. What do you think about his performance in this movie? I think Perry is hilarious in this. There's a lot of physical humor, but it's so much of his looks and reactions. There's not many people that could have pulled this off in the way that he did to where it was as believable as it was. You believed he was scared. You believed he was neurotic. You believed that he was on edge about everything while being able to mix comedy into it. So I thought he was great. He had some really good quotes when his wife talking about how Jimmy the Tulip came on to her. She says, who do you believe, a killer or your wife? And he responds, do I have to answer that? But some of the more physical things that he does that just stand out to me when he runs into Michael Clark Duncan, Frankie Figs, and just runs into him and bounces straight off him like he's a brick wall. There's the one scene where he's really nervous and he's trying to drill someone's tooth. His hand just keeps shaking so much. He plays that exasperated, like, I can't believe this is happening role a lot. And there's a lot of Chandler in that, I think. The kind of like, what? Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. He was so on edge the whole movie because, you know, he, he gets mixed up in something he does not want to be mixed up into. Just like when he goes and meets Bruce Willis's character and then like he turns and then he has to run back to his house. And then every time he goes between the two houses, he runs. <laughs> it's, it's like the funny. dumbest thing, but it made me laugh every time. Or in the hotel, he makes that phone call and then he immediately goes in the bathroom and pukes. All these like little things that I'm like, man, Matthew Perry is he was so good at those things. Just like so subtle, but like, ah, man, so good. I really like the ending boat scene when he's standing there and Bruce Willis is talking to him and Bruce Willis throws the beer at him and he doesn't even move or flinch to attempt to catch it. The beer just flies straight past his head. Puts his hands up after the fact, like way, and he's not even trying to catch it. He's more like up in arms of like, what just happened? It's just one of those things where I feel like he's underappreciated for how funny he is in this movie. It wouldn't even surprise me if some of the reactions were just natural. Even like a simple like when Yanni gets in his car and it's not a very nice car and he's like, wow, I got the same car. He's really? He's like, no. <laughs> yeah. He just is a genius at that kind of stuff. 
All right, 17 again. Matthew Perry stars as Mike O'Donnell with Zac Efron starring as Mike O'Donnell at 17 years old. Zac Efron was very believable as a 17-year-old Matthew Perry. And this makes sense because Efron used to call Perry for help on how he would deliver lines and he would try to mimic his movements to give a more authentic performance. Efron's close study of Perry actually revealed some things that Matthew didn't even know about himself, such as the fact that Perry often stands with his hands in his pockets and he smiles with a closed mouth. Uh, He really gave a believable performance. 17 Again, it's definitely more of a Zac Efron movie than a Matthew Perry movie, but I don't think this movie works without Matthew Perry. His relatability and vulnerability really shows through and makes a character who, for all purposes, shouldn't be that likable, very likable, and you can't help but cheering for him. Playing Matthew Perry's wife, Scarlett, is Leslie Mann. She would also play the wife of a husband that body swapped in the movie The Change Up, which I thought was interesting. She has really good comedic timing and comedic chops. Her husband's Judd Apatow. They have two daughters that are actors now, too. Then we have Thomas Lennon as Ned. This is Thomas Lennon's second time on the pod. Woo! That scene where he walks into the courtroom and he's like, you can't handle the truth. He's so funny in this. He really elevates the movie as well with his humor. He makes me laugh every time he's on the screen. Like The things he says, the way he says them, man. I just could not get enough of his scenes. And his chemistry with Zac Efron is fantastic. His chemistry with Melora Hardin is fantastic. I'm just like, he plays off of other characters so well, though. He's like the perfect sidekick companion character, I feel like, for any comedy. So good. Speaking of Melora Hardin, she plays Principal Jane Masterson. And I think the writers of 17 Again must have been Office fans because little similarities between her role in this and her role in The Office. She plays Principal Jane Masterson in 17 Again. She plays Jan Levinson in The Office. Jan Levinson's ex-husband's last name in The Office was Gould. And in this movie, she is dating a Ned Gold. Maybe it's just a coincidence, but I like to think there is definitely some writer's room shenanigans going on there. That has to be intentional. I love the, (laughs) it just reminds me when Michael Scott first introduces her to Tim Meadows' character in The Office, Jan Levinson Gould, and she said, no Gould. No Gould? What happened to Gould? (laughs) It's so good. I also want to point out Brian Doyle Murray from Caddyshack, Groundhog Day, Wayne's World. He is Bill Murray's brother. And then we've got Jim Gaffigan, famous stand-up comedian in this as well. Before we go into who, which cast we think wins this, you got any Seinfeld or Friends connections? Yeah. So obviously, like we talked about before, Matthew Perry, a massive star of Friends. Joining him on Friends, Bruce Willis. Isn't it because of his relationship with Perry from this movie that he went on Friends? There is a rumor out there that they made some sort of bet about the movie doing well and if it did well then Bruce Willis would have to appear on Friends apparently that is not true but I do believe that they got to know each other pretty well yeah and I know Matthew Perry was pretty starstruck to do this movie with Bruce Willis just because of we talked about he was like top of the top movie stars at the time and him being cast in a Bruce Willis movie you know even though it's not you know it's is it a Matthew Perry movie? Is it a Bruce Willis movie? To Matthew Perry, it was a Bruce Willis movie that he happened to get a role in, which sure. is pretty cool to think about that even celebrities like this look up to other celebrities. We also have in Seinfeld, Amanda Peet plays one of Jerry's many girlfriends, 
and Brian Doyle Murray appears as the dad of the Bubble Boy. And then also, of course, one of our favorites on the pod, Thomas Lennon, appears in a few episodes of Friends. So pretty good mix there. You know, pretty big stars, too. Love it. All right, gut instinct. Which way are you leaning here? 17, again, is is loaded with some actors who are more in some more popular shows or movies. But if I'm looking at a cast as a whole, I do think the whole nine yards might have an edge. Bruce Willis alone might just put this one over for them. I don't think I can go against Bruce Willis. Die Hard is one of the greatest movies, in my opinion. Bruce Willis, out of everybody on these lists, the biggest star, easily. People will try to argue Zac Efron for the younger generation, and that might be true. But for anybody over 30 years old, Bruce Willis is the biggest star in all of this. Yeah, and you know we could see in however many years, Zac Efron could solidify his place among actors in some of these movies too. Down the line, time will tell. But I think if you're going to go on credentials, I would go Bruce Willis. And specifically at the time when these movies were made, you had Matthew Perry, height of friends with Bruce Willis, height of his fame. That's a powerful combination. And even Amanda Peet was up and coming too. She obviously hasn't been as much lately, but at the time she was definitely an up and coming star. And let's not forget Michael Clark Duncan coming off an Oscar nomination. Very true. Very true. I feel okay giving this point to the whole nine yards. I'll take it. Okay. One nothing. Heading into round two. Best line or moment. The whole nine yards is pretty jam-packed with some good moments in little tiny lines, but some of the ones that stick out to me would be, I mean, definitely when Oz meets Jimmy for the first time. I love that like little moment when he it's clicking for him who this person is. Yeah. Like all those newspapers and. I like that little montage. And then that gets into him being like freaked out. And then he's got to run between the houses, which I think is hilarious. The whole thing about the mayonnaise on the burgers is great. Well, I, had a, I had a hamburger for lunch. They put mayonnaise on it? Yes. Can you tell me why they do that? Every red-blooded American knows that the only condiment you are ever supposed to put on a hamburger is ketchup! I love how they call back to that later because the restaurant scene when the three guys are dining together, I think is a pretty great scene too. There were some really good, just like Matthew Perry-isms. There's one part where he's... So you know what? I'm, I'm not going to listen to this anymore. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to... I'm going to... I'm going to go! I'm going to... Does this slide? Yeah. <laughs> I could watch Matthew Perry do like those deliveries all day long. I think my favorite scene in that movie is when Matthew Perry and Bruce Willis are having a phone call and Bruce Willis finds out that Matthew Perry just slept with his wife. You stooped my wife, Oz? I wouldn't exactly necessarily phrase it that way exactly. No, no, wait, 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 let me get this straight. You went to Chicago and you engaged in sexual congress with my wife? Is that what you're telling me? Let's, Jimmy, is that it? Jimmy, let's is that what you're... Jimmy, calm down. I swear to God... He's a little upset. I've managed to upset a mass murderer. <laughs> that whole scene of that phone call was really funny. Bruce Willis is clearly in control and Matthew Perry is just like losing it and he's on edge the whole time. I love that. It's really good. 17 again it has a lot more just standard jokes. It's a very, very funny movie. Very joke heavy. Very one liner heavy. Few things that stand out. 
in terms of scenes and then some lines within those scenes. I love when Zac Efron and Thomas Lennon have a lightsaber fight. I'm a big Star Wars fan. And so I'm watching this fight through that prism. And it was really good. It looked like really good lightsaber action. I was kind of like, wow, this is really well choreographed. The first scene when Ned and the principal meet is joke filled and hilarious. He's enrolling Zac Efron's character, Mark. He immediately says, before we get started, I think you should know that uh, Mark's a bastard. Excuse me? I had him out of wedlock, so. <laughs> Just unprompted. <laughs> so I am single. I love that. He just leads, just launches right into it. It's so funny. Then they're leaving. Zach Efron pulls him out of the room. Okay, come on, Dad. Come on, Dad. Let's go. Ah! I was about to close. It's just like, no, you weren't. No, you weren't, man. You were blowing it. When Zach Efron takes down the bully in the cafeteria, that scene's pretty funny. I always love when someone stands up for the little guy. I point this out because Zach Efron does some really cool basketball moves in this scene. I was spinning it on his fingers and he's doing the numbers. Yes. He actually did all of these tricks himself. You may know Zach Efron got famous through the high school musical movies where he played a basketball player as well. And so he can actually ball a little bit. He looked like he could play basketball just based on like him shooting, yeah. dribbling. I don't like when someone is supposed to be an athlete in a movie and they do not look like an athlete. So I do appreciate that he actually looked like he can play some basketball. I really liked the scene when Zach Efron's Mark is meeting his wife for the first time when he's a 17 year old. They're in the driveway. He's playing basketball with his son and she shows up. This scene is just filled with hilarious lines. So her friend gets out of the car and she says, well, I haven't been to happy hour in a week and a half. Then the son says, hey, mom, this is Mark, Uncle Ned's bastard. Wow. I know. Someone had a kid with Uncle Ned. Ugh. Then Leslie Mann's character tries to go back and says she wants to smell him because she is so shocked at how similar he looks. And her friend just says, you're not allowed to smell teenagers. Then that's the same scene where Zac Efron calls her Naomi and she says it's Naomi. And he says, I don't care. And it's just the callback to earlier in the movie when Matthew Perry did it. And it is delivered in the same exact way. I love that scene, too. That made me laugh out loud. You had mentioned earlier about when you're a teenager being able to eat whatever you want and not gaining any weight. That scene was very relatable to me and made me extremely jealous when he's just at the table mixing the grossest concoction of food and just shoving it down his throat. He had a few lines that were based on this. Like, he's like, I feel great yeah, i love that line and then <laughs> yeah. when when he's they're all playing around and he's like we're all in such great shapes <laughs> just like the things that you man you just don't appreciate when that you're that age that's really funny and then there was a serious quote towards the end i believe it's when he's talking to his daughter and he says when you're young everything feels like the end of the world and that just is really true i think that encapsulates the teenage experience to a t and it gave this movie some heart which you know we love comedies that have heart, and that's what I think this movie does well. Any standout to you that I missed? Yeah, there's a couple scenes that stand out right near the beginning when he's hoping he's going to get this promotion, and he does not. All the girls are celebrating with the girl who gets a promotion, and they're all like, well, this day's going to get better. We're going to TGI Fridays. And then you see him in the back of the elevator just, like, <laughs> surrounded, which, I mean, the TGI Fridays line is great, and then, like, his reaction's great. Some nice product placement for TGI Fridays there. It's very random. Do you remember when I worked at TGI Fridays? I don't know if I do remember that. 
it was right after my junior year, your senior year, and I needed a job. And I said, I like eating TGI Friday's mozzarella sticks. Maybe I'll just go see if they'll hire me. And they hired me. And within a couple of weeks, they said to me, well, we see a lot of potential in you. You know, we think you could be on management track. Would you be interested in being a bartender? And I said, I'm going back to college in a month. So no, no, I'm not interested. But um, yeah, TGI Fridays was an interesting place to work. They used to have me sing the birthday songs to people. Man. I would get really, really into it. I can see that. If we ever do the movie Waiting, I'll talk more about my restaurant days. I look forward to that. Any other scenes for you? Any scene with Thomas Lennon and Melora Hardin, uh, the one where he's he's talking about he's going to go in and peacock and then immediately she's like, are you peacocking? Hilarious. Or when they actually go out to dinner and she's like not letting her guard down. And then he says something about Lord of the Rings and she corrects him and then they both start talking. Just hilarious. Just whenever those two are together, they just fantastic scenes. Yeah, I could watch a spinoff movie of just them. I could too. And I think that's because they just played really well off each other and they were very believable. You can also see some of Jan Levinson's character traits in her. Yeah. Because, you know, this person of of authority who feels like the person who's pursuing her has no chance. But, hey, you know, I'm actually really into this person. I thought that was pretty good. All right. I know I'm biased, but I do think 17 Again was the overall funnier movie and had a little bit more comprehensive, funny scenes with some heart mixed in. I feel like it takes this round, but do you have any reason why it shouldn't? No, I I think for me, 17 again has more scenes that are sustained comedy that have a little more substance to them, where the whole nine yards kind of has like a a quick thing here to there within some scenes. I feel like 17 again utilizes those scenes way better. Okay. One to one, going into round three. Better title, better soundtrack. The whole nine yards. This is this is one of those movies too, where where they do mention the title of the movie in one of the lines. I do love that. It's the scene when Cynthia comes to Oz's hotel room. She mentions he'll get everything. The whole nine yards. It's such an odd phrase. I think that that's the one that they picked out for the title. I looked it up. The origin of this idiom, the whole nine yards. What does it mean? Because you hear it all the time. It's one of those idioms that I will say. I hear other people saying, but do you ever actually look it up and see what it means? I couldn't find a straight answer. No, I Googled it. There was like eight different responses, something going back to the monks, other things going to this country, that country. There was no straight answer to it. Something about sailing. I don't know. We just all know what it means without really knowing what it means. You know, I love it when they say the title of the movie in the movie. So it gets points for that. But it's a weird title for this movie. It fits based on what they're talking about. I just think there probably could have been a different expression that they used that was a little bit more readily understandable. It's like a little bit too much of a deep cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has nothing, like it doesn't really say anything about the movie to me. Now, I don't have any alternate suggestions. No. But not a terrible title, but I think for this movie, I would have liked something a little different. 17 again. Title is pretty self-explanatory. I think it's interesting. The filmmakers originally had discussions about making Efron go back to being 18 instead of 17 because the whole love story, there were some legal complications with a 37-year-old woman being interested in a 17-year-old, but they weren't actually allowed to do it because there was already a movie called 18 Again, 
which came out in 1988, and it had an 81-year-old grandfather swap bodies with his 18-year-old grandson. There was some weirdness to the fact that he was 17. I mean, this is not the right category, but yeah, a little cringy. I mean, we all know some of the cutoffs here. Yep. I understand he is himself younger and that in actuality, he's 37 in the movie. I would be interested in in debating the merits of if it was illegal, since it is actually himself and mentally he was 37. But I I don't want to go down that road right now. I feel like there is a slippery slope. Yeah. So we're just going to move on to better soundtrack. What kind of music we got in the whole nine yards? You know, the whole nine yards is, is interesting. It doesn't really rely on much in terms of soundtrack or score. There is some blues music. And there's a scene when Oz travels from Canada down to Chicago. And he meets up with his friend at the Oyster Bar. And the music that you hear is actually being performed by Bruce Willis and his band. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, there's a harmonica solo too. And that's Bruce Willis. I wonder if Bruce Willis said, I'll do this movie, but I want to get some exposure for my band and harmonica playing. You have to put a harmonica solo in the movie or, or I'm out. Yeah, like I said, I mean, soundtrack score, not really a major part of this one. Well, 17 again, it is. 17 again has a fantastic soundtrack right off the bat. Bust a Move, making its second appearance on the podcast. And this is during the 1989 opening scene where Zac Efron's character unexpectedly joins the cheerleading team for a routine to this dance. And when I was watching that, my first thought was, there's no way this would ever happen. And then I remembered that I actually did that in college with our dance team. Well, the first thing I thought of when I saw him out there, I'm like, oh, man, that's something Rob would do. I think it was senior year, so I think you were graduated, but I had become friends with some people on the dance team. I used to announce the basketball games. They thought it would be funny if during their halftime performance, if I emerged from the crowd to join them in a dance. There was uh, one other guy. He was the leader of the student fan club who joined us as well. We went through the steps. We did it a few times. It was pretty cool. And then after like the second or third time doing it, I was like, okay, I'm done. But then our team kept winning and winning. And so we had to keep doing it every halftime because that was their only routine that they had practiced. That was the year they won the championship. So we had to do it every play, every playoff game to the point where it got packed. That championship game, the entire gym was standing room only. And we're going out and doing some dance team stuff. You have to wonder, I mean, who was the crowd there for? I'll just leave it at that. I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah. They've also got Danger Zone, nice little Top Gun throwback. They've got The Underdog by Spoon, which is a great song. Look it up. I love Spoon, one of my one of my favorite bands. When the bully pulls up to pick up Mike's daughter, Nookie is playing. Yes. It's a little on the nose because literally all he talks about the entire movie is getting with her and saying he has needs. It's a little over the top, but Nookie was just a nice little throwback. Fergalicious makes an appearance. I do love me some Fergie and the ending song Naive by the Kooks. So good. Just fits so well. I love it. There was some great music in this. And a lot of the ones that you mentioned were we call them throwbacks to our time in college. Brings back some happy memories. I like to use this as a baseline. If you're going to a store, you're buying a soundtrack. You're buying the 17 Again soundtrack over Bruce Willis's band. Am I correct? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, 
I don't think there's really a debate. Now, I mean, it definitely has got me interested in some some blues music by Bruce Willis. Uh, I don't know the name of his band. Well, while I'm taking the point for this round, you can go spend some time reading up on the history of Bruce Willis's blues band. I'll report back next time. I don't think I can even create any sort of debate on this category. So 17 again takes a two to one lead heading into round four. Plot holes, cringiness, random questions. I will present my side against the whole nine yards. Alex will present his side against 17 again. For plot holes for the whole nine yards, I had read somewhere that the whole dentist teeth switching thing doesn't actually work, but I am not a learned doctor, so I'm not going to let that hold me up in this. I thought it was a nice twist in the movie to help them get out of the situation. Besides that, I didn't have a ton of plot holes. So moving on then to cringy moments, I thought Jimmy's wife's accent was pretty bad. I don't know if she was trying to do a Chicago accent. I don't really know what was being portrayed. It just wasn't great. I'm very glad I didn't work an office job in the late 90s, early 2000s. It seems like everyone wore super baggy dress pants and huge shirts. It was just kind of a weird look. You notice that a lot in Friends, too. The wardrobe was just not super stylish. I think we've come a long way. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. My biggest cringiness, though, for the whole nine yards revolves around the fact that Matthew Perry's character falls in love with Bruce Willis's wife slash ex-wife in one day. I mean, how bad does your previous marriage have to be for just one person to be nice to you? And you're like, I am in love with you to the point where I would risk dying. He asked her to marry him after like two days and not even a single normal date. I mean, he wasn't even divorced yet. You can't get married if you're not (laughs) even divorced yet. That's true. I liked it for the sense of story, but it really was a little cringy and kind of held me up a little bit. Well, I think even like Cynthia, Jimmy's wife, was like, I don't know if I'm in love with him yet. It's like, no, of course you don't know. It's been a day. (laughs) Like You're the only one with some sense. And then she was like, yeah, I do. (laughs) (laughs) What? Sure. Some random questions. This movie is rated R, but there's not that much language. There's not that much violence. So my question is, was this movie only rated R so that they could show Amanda Pete's boobs? Yes. Okay. The scene where Matthew Perry is mowing the lawn, that lawnmower is not actually on. And you can tell because he's not holding the control bar in. He's just pushing the lawnmower. And the bar is just hanging on the bottom. Maybe he's just pushing the grass over. I bet because of insurance liability, they couldn't have an actor operating a lawnmower for safety reasons. And so they said, just push the lawnmower and we will add the sound effect in and post. In this movie, they referenced multiple times how Jimmy the Tulip had killed 17 people. This is a very specific number. I also find it to be a pretty low number for a notorious hitman. He killed five people alone in the span of this movie. I just feel like that number would be way higher for him. The number was very underwhelming. Yeah, they were like, he killed 17 people. And I was like, I mean, we're talking about a guy that's supposed to be the most notorious hitman in the country. I think 17 would be pretty low for him. Yeah, I mean, 17 in general, not good. We don't, nothing we condone. No. But for setting up his character, it's like, oh, all right. Yeah. There's a scene where Bruce Willis 
catches a fly with his bare hand and then sucks it into his mouth and then spits it out. Why? What did that accomplish? I have something about the flies, actually. Do you know that the, one of the houses they rented was infested with flies? That's gross. In real life. So, like, they played into the scenes a lot, which is actually pretty funny because there's some of the scenes where, yeah. They did have some flies in some scenes. I still don't think I'd pretend to suck one up into my mouth. That part was weird. It made me laugh. And I was like, what is he doing? Yeah. Like, we already think he's a tough guy. And honestly, I think it makes somebody less of a tough guy if they're sucking a fly into their mouth. That just shows me that they are really unstable. It was just like, oh, yeah, he's weird, too. Okay, I get it now. I want to know why the detectives who showed up to Oz's office were revealing so much information about the case. Is that not what FBI agents do in real life? I mean, they're Canadian. Maybe they do things differently in Canada. Oh, yeah. Sorry, they weren't FBI agents. They were just like, oh, yeah, by the way, this is all the stuff that's happening in the case. By the way, here's all this classified information that we wouldn't tell anybody. So we'll tell you. And so if you have an alibi that fits it, you can go free. Also, at the beginning, this this goes back to the, um, the mayonnaise on the burger scene. He's having lunch with Amanda Pete, and he orders, and then they get their food in like 30 seconds. I know it's a movie, but that just bugged me. That bugged me it too. It was way too quick. And I was like, okay, way too quick. Was that just a conveyor belt of burgers coming out? Yeah, yeah. No. No wonder it, there's mayonnaise on it. They're just like cranking yeah, them out. That's a good one. What do you got for 17 again? The scene where Matthew Perry, you know, visits his high school and he just kind of like walks in and all of a sudden he's in like gym. That's like impossible to do. You can't just like get into a school. No. They buzz you into this like holding area and you can say, oh, well, it was different back then. It wasn't a year after this movie came out. I was an admissions counselor, so I would spend my time traveling to high schools. You could not just walk into any high school like that. Definitely not. And there's a basketball sitting at center court. Not really a plot hole, but it's like, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, like Ned, Thomas Lennon's character doesn't recognize him. It's his best friend. He's got pictures of him clearly all over the place because that's when he realizes when he sees the picture. Just like no one is recognizing him that it looks, you know, like, oh, like, oh, this person looks just like him. No, it's him. Like, you know, you could tell when you know someone like that. If my best friend from high school walked into my house right now looking like he looked in high school, I would know exactly who he was. Absolutely. There's there's no doubt about it. I would ask him for a skincare routine. Which uh, magical janitor did you meet? Yeah. That's what I would, that would be my first question. I know the coach didn't recognize him either. That was kind of ridiculous, especially because of how he ended things. I coach high school baseball right now. If we had a player who was getting scouted for Division One and then just left in the middle of the game because he got his high school sweetheart pregnant, I would that kid's face would be burned into my memory. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, this is a couple sports moments I want to talk about. The college scout comes to see Zach Efron, the younger version of the character play. The coach is like, if you play well, you're going to get a scholarship. I don't think that happens either. In your experience, Rob, has that ever happened? Have you ever told the player, if you pitch five good innings, you're going to get a full ride to a D1 school? <laughs> no, and that's such a movie trope. If you are good enough to play Division One, and he was getting recruited by Syracuse at that point. Syracuse was a perpetual Big East champion during that time period. They're not basing their decision off of one game. Also, that wouldn't be his only opportunity. If Syracuse is looking at you, there's probably 50 other schools that are interested in you playing for them. They have tape on you. They know who you are. Like, obviously, they're going to travel all this way. Like, I remember 
playing with someone in high school who was getting scouted for baseball. Scouts would come to every single game. Um, also, he just leaves in the beginning. Couldn't you just finish your possession? You could. Pass the ball, at least. Call a timeout? Call a timeout. Anything. Still be a team player. Come Pretty on, with the team. And then also at the end, Matthew Perry gets offered the job to be the high school basketball coach. That's not like your job. Like you have to have another job. They're a teacher who also coaches or for some other circumstances, you have another job, another yeah. mean of means of income. And you are also a coach head basketball coach stipend at the high school level is like between four and eight thousand dollars. Exactly. And all of this information is readily available if you are to just look into the public records for your local school. Yeah. And they're all like, oh, it's his first day on the job. He's leaving in the morning. I don't know. Whatever. I mean, just one of those things as being sports guys that we we will always notice. He's leaving to go to a full-time basketball coaching job. What's he going to do all day? What is he going to do all day? And the principal is still at Ned's house. That was a little finicky. Weird. Some cringy stuff. There were some dated references. I mean, I understood them. I'm sure you understood them. Yep. They make a, a reference to Kevin Federline, Clay Aiken, which the Clay Aiken line made me laugh out loud. <laughs> Don't you bring him into this. You got the high school yearbook photo. It was pretty lame. Who gets their high school senior photo with like a sleeveless shirt? Yeah. We had to wear a shirt and tie. We had to wear a shirt and tie too. Yeah. Uh, you got, you know, he's writing directions on the paper. I mean, great scene in the courtroom where he's pretending to read a letter, but it's really just directions. The writing directions thing, we can't fault it. It's just so apparent when you're watching it. If somebody in 2023 had never seen this movie and was watching it, they would absolutely be questioning, why are directions written on a piece of paper? They would be like, what, what is that written on the paper? You yeah, know, not yeah. even knowing like, oh, that's how you would get somewhere. Like, that's what we would have to do. Yeah. Yeah, some other cringy moments were the daughter being into him, which I was like, you know, I've seen this movie before where you're watching it. And I was like, ah, please don't do this, please. It happens in Back to the Future as well. Yep. And you're just like, so awkward. So I'm watching this movie and we're going through it. And I, I get to a point where I wrote down, I'm so happy they didn't have the daughter come on to him. And then legitimately 10 minutes later, <laughs> I just scratched it out and was like, nope. That's and what I was it's doing. So, oh, that is so creepy and gross. Efron did a good job pulling off that I'm trying to be fatherly, but you have to have a little bit more social awareness of what kind of vibes you're giving off to someone that doesn't know that you're their father. Any body swap movies in the future, please avoid that because it is so gross. It is very uncomfortable. I mean, I'm glad that nothing actually happened, but still very uncomfortable watching those scenes. There was a few lines that kind of made me cringe when the girls are talking about him. And the one girl says that apple had to be a delicious. I don't think any high schoolers know the difference in apples. And also that line was just bad. It was a bad line. The one girl says she was kicked off the cheerleading squad for being too flexible. Then the other one says, I could unwrap you. I mean, these girls are just throwing themselves. It's why I like the like 90s comedy Chris Farley things, because that's just it didn't happen in those movies. It so I could be like, no. this is more relatable. I cannot relate to girls saying absolutely ridiculous things, throwing themselves at me. The line about the apple did make me think. And I was like, I wonder how this line would have played or been written in Jennifer's body because there were a lot of the like a lot yeah. of lines like that. Yeah, but they they worked really well. Shout out to our Jennifer's body episode. Yeah, please go listen to that one. That's that's a great one. 
I would like to see how the writers would have written a line like that into it because they they were like the masters of like pulling off those super cheesy lines, but like making them funny. Um, another thing that was definitely cringy was the uh, racially insensitive mascot for the basketball team. Oh, I didn't even. I didn't. Yeah, he's even wearing notice. like a full headdress. I don't know the name of the team, but oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, you can't do that anymore. Yeah, just just not a good look. Let's just. I think in let's you just know not in, do that in 2009. Probably still shouldn't have done it, but teams were doing it. That would definitely not still be happening in 2023. Did you pick up on that line where the security guard calls him a punk on the <laughs> first day? He's walking through the hallway, like everyone's bumping into him, and then the security guard's like, "What were you going, punk?" Yeah, that, that wouldn't happen. You get fired. No, it would. It would not happen. But it was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just some other random questions. Wouldn't his two kids, you know, figure out that he's not been around for a while? I mean, he's like pretty involved in their lives so wouldn't all of a sudden he's just like gone he's just gone for a month one thing that always stands out to me and and they do this in like every high school movie they just had those two kids just making out in the middle of the classroom that doesn't happen i i I spend time around high school kids they do not do that i can't even think of a time back in high school when i ever ever saw no anything remotely close to that during a school day you know no okay I'm all for honesty. You gave me a much bigger list. And the cringy moments that you spoke about, way cringier than whole nine yards stuff. So I'm going to give you the point here. So whole nine yards takes the point for being the less cringy movie of these two. So we are two to two going into round five, our miscellaneous question of the week. In honor of Matthew Perry's biggest role as Chandler Bing and Friends, our miscellaneous question of the week is, who would have been a better seventh member of the Friends crew? Ned from 17 again or Jimmy the Tulip from the whole nine yards? The actors both appeared on Friends as very yep. different characters. Yep. Okay. Ross, Rachel, Monica, Chandler, Joey, Phoebe, and Ned or Jimmy the Tulip? Oh, that's a great question. Okay, so let's think this through. We got Ross, I guess, kind of fills the role of like the nerdy guy, but not really. So I feel like there could be a place for Ned. And then Jimmy as a contract killer in a New York based sitcom is pretty funny to think about. I mean, it could be funny if he was a contract killer and he would just be like, oh, got some work tonight. <laughs> Coming back. To the it would be shop. funny if it was never revealed that he it was never revealed like what he did but like it was implied that he's he probably goes and kills people that would be pretty funny actually that would be really fun (laughs) and then there's like in season 10 they have an episode that's just the one where everyone finds out what jimmy's been up to at night that would be so good now don't they they don't know what chandler does so could you have two characters where you don't know what they do man Hmm. i mean ned to me just pluck ned out of this universe plop him right into friends and he just works so well because his nerdiness is a different level from ross ross is more academic nerd and ned is more pop culture nerd no one is like super super cool i mean joey is the coolest of the group but even he you watch him and you're like oh you're cool but you're not i think ned's personality fits way better in the friends universe than jimmy the tulip i think ned as a seventh friend and jimmy the tulip as a recurring character every so often that would have been good yes okay so okay i think 17 again 
we'll take this point based on Ned being the seventh friend. All right. So 17 again, takes the lead three to two, heading into round six. Better trivia. We're going to alternate back and forth. Alex, start us off. All right, there are three kids who run between Jimmy and Oz when they're standing next to a flower cart. Those three kids are actually Bruce Willis's three daughters. I really think Bruce Willis kind of got to do whatever he wanted in this movie. He called all the shots. He's playing harmonica. His kids are in it. This is a day at the beach room. I have 17 Again is a remake of the Disney TV movie Young Again, which came out in 1986. The reason why that is interesting is because that starred a very young Keanu Reeves who we love on this podcast. Keanu is another one of our favorites on the podcast. All right. When Oz recognizes that his neighbor is Jimmy the Tulip, the newspaper picture that says conversation with a contract killer is actually from the 1997 movie, The Jackal, in which Bruce Willis plays the titular contract killer. Titular, 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 not titular. Plays the titular contract killer. When Oz recognizes that his neighbor is Jimmy the Tulip, the newspaper's picture that says his two lips are sealed is actually from Die Hard 2. Hunter Parrish, who plays the bully Stan in this movie, actually auditioned for the role of Troy Bolton, which Zac Efron famously got in the high school musical movie. He claims that he was the front runner for it, but had to pull out due to scheduling conflicts. Don't know if that's true. That's what he says. Zach hmm. Efron, way better than him. All right, Matthew Perry plays the main love interest opposite to Courtney Cox on Friends. At the time of the whole Nine Yards release, Courtney Cox was married to David Arquette, the real-life brother of Rosanna Arquette, who plays Matthew Perry's wife in the movie. Oh, nice little inter-family. In one scene, Mike wakes up and begins describing a dream that he had about being back in high school, only to find his daughter Maggie is caring for him. This is an homage to the scene in Back to the Future where a similar thing happens with Marty McFly and his mother caring for him. Well, speaking of flies, we did talk about one of the houses being infested with flies. Did you know that the owners of the two houses that they used to film the whole nine yards were paid $50,000 on the condition that they left their house for a month? I always wondered how much people got paid to do that. So that is interesting. 50 grand for a month. Sure, I'd do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I have the end credits show pictures of the cast and crew when they were 17, which I just think is kind of nice. I love that. Zach Efron looked pretty much the same, but seeing like Matthew Perry and yeah. Leslie Mann, like that was kind of fun to see them. All right, I got one more for you. There's a shot where Jill, so Amanda Pete's character is running between the houses, common theme, and the guys are watching her and she like runs and she like kind of twists her ankle and falls over. It's really funny, but it, it wasn't supposed to happen. Nice little scene that they kept in the in the final cut. I think it fit her character. The whole premise of her character is really funny. Like she has an idol contract killer that she looks up to. <laughs> yeah, She's like wanting yeah, to learn yeah. everything. You know, it's just like it fit her very well. She liked Oz too much. She couldn't kill him and then became his assistant like for real. Like I think very overlooked role and she was very good in it. It's always interesting to try to decide who wins these trivia rounds. Sometimes there's like one or two that just really stand out. These are pretty close, but the two that you said, how much the people were paid to use their houses, only because I always wondered that, and it's nice to know. And then the kind of Matthew Perry, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, Rosanna Arquette connection is uh, just a fun little nod to Matthew Perry's role in Friends. The thing that kind of stood out to me were the flies. I just, I, th I think it's hilarious that they kept in so many fly scenes 
And that you learn that the house was getting paid $50,000 to use a fly infested house. I mean, also, I hope they use some of that money to get the flies out of the house. Okay, so we're going to give this round to the whole nine yards, which puts us at a three to three tie heading into the most important round of the show. Round seven, better story, better script and more fun. I do think the whole nine yards does a really good job of keeping you kind of on the edge of your seat, wondering how they're going to get out of this mess. We said earlier, Matthew Perry really makes this movie work. I did like the bank twist, the do you love him thing. I thought it was ridiculous that they were talking about love after only two days, but I did actually appreciate the twist. However, and this might just be my own personal preference in movies, watching 17 again was way more fun for me. It made me laugh more. It made me feel a little bit more and overall just felt it was a little bit of a faster moving script. I always like to think other wasted scenes like what is this scene doing to advance the movie, the plot, the character, whatever. I feel like 17 again really didn't have many scenes like that, you know, downtime. Whole nine yards, you know, like there's some that maybe, you know, drag or aren't really... Yeah, I don't really put the movie over the top for me. I did like the movie very much. I enjoyed the whole nine yards on a rewatch, you know, so many years later. I just think it could have done more. I feel like it was a little more watered down than it could have been. I think the whole nine yards was solid start to finish. I wouldn't have added anything. I wouldn't have really taken anything away. It was fine the way it was. 17 again, I would have been happy with 10 more minutes of scenes of him interacting in his 17-year-old self. That's how much I enjoyed what they gave us. It left me wanting more, which sometimes can be a bad thing, but I think in this case was a good thing. Definitely don't get sick of it. No. Uh, and I think it is a good thing when, when you want more of it. Okay, so round seven goes to 17 again. The winner of the Matthew Perry episode, 17 again. I'm back on the board, Alex. You still lead four to two. I got that elephant off my back. I'm ready to roll. You needed that win, and I'm glad we did this episode. No, this was good. We we talked about how you know Matthew Perry is Chandler Bing, but I think it's fun to look at some of his other acting roles. And and this is a fun thing about movies is we had Chris Farley week when actors unfortunately pass away well before their time. You know, you have these movies to look back on and, and relieve their characters and see them in those roles. Matthew Perry, so much more than the characters he played, but I'm really happy that we have those characters to be able to go back, watch, and laugh with him in times where we need it. So let's talk about our new rankings for these movies. I always make you go first, Alex. Let me go first today. So I have the whole nine yards at 68% and 17 again at 79%. Wow, we're pretty close on this one. I have the whole nine yards also at 68%. Nice. And 17 again, 78%. Wow. That was close. That's fun. You would think that we co-host a movie podcast together. You would think that we're starting to meld into one mind. Well, in closing, Matthew Perry, thank you for everything that you have done on screen and off. We will miss you. Gone too soon, but not forgotten. I can't wait to be able to continue to laugh at the work you left us with for decades to come. I think I'm going to go watch some Friends right after this, Rob. This has been The Movie Showdown with Rock and Rob. Make sure to like, subscribe, rate, and review all that fun stuff. And follow us on all the socials at Rock and Rob Show. Until next time, peace. I'm out of here. See ya.
Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. And totally redeem yourself! I'm not sure what to do with my hands. Bye, Felicia. That's your home! Are you too good for your home? Answer me! Hasta la vista, baby.